Hello and welcome to episode four of the Malibristas podcast. This time up, we have an interview with Bim Mason, and it's a great interview. One little snag that I'm going to have to admit to, at about a minute in, you're going to hear Bim start to reply to a question. You won't have heard a question from me. This may be due to the fact that I have managed to edit that out somehow. Uh, I think the question I asked was, do you need to be a provocateur and a social commentator to be a valid artist? Apart from that little snag, I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Cue the music. Hello and welcome to the Malabristas podcast. I am your host, Marky J, and I am very happy to be joined by Bim Mason. He is a man of many talents. Currently, is it direct? Yeah, artistic director and uh, head of the academy at Circomedia. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. And also a performer in his own right and also an author. Yeah. Your book has just come out, beautifully titled, I won't try it myself in case I get it wrong, titled? Uh, Provocation in Popular Culture. Excellent. Yeah. I was actually talking to my wife about you, and oh, yeah. she'd read one of your books for a German degree. She was oh, doing really? it several years yeah. ago, and she was doing oh. it about medieval right. German street performers. Okay. And had found your book in the university library right. and read it cover to cover. How amazing. Long but, before she ever yeah. got into circus. Yeah. She was, <laughs> really? she was going okay. through your book on Incredible. street performance okay. and, and wrote the essay in German. Right, but used it as a source for a for a German piece, which I thought was very interesting. Extraordinary, yeah. So because that was twenty uh, twenty five years ago or something like that. In Ninety two, it came out. So um, it's there. Yeah, yeah. It's so, still in the so, library. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a prolific writer. Only um, you know one every twenty five years was is, is plenty. You know. <laughs> I, I was talking to the students the other day, uh, the incoming students, and it was very interesting. I was, I was saying, why are you here? What, what's the sort of, what is the point of doing this thing you're doing? And the, a lot of the answers were uh, very personal. They like the activity of circus. They like, you know, being upside down, juggling. And they like the, the attention of performing, things like that. So those are all personal things. But I, I was trying to encourage the idea that we are not just individuals in this world and increasingly with with global impact that's going to be coming to us in the next decade we can't think of ourselves as just isolated individuals that idea has been promoted you know since the since the 50s really to 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 get us to uh, to make more choices to buy more stuff to uh, all that so so but increasingly we have to see ourselves as as, as individuals, but also part of a part of the wider human family with the same same some of the same you know it's part of uh, globalization that we we it's it's coming to us you know the way the way people are being made redundant all these sh- larger shifts in in the world are, are the, the cause of globalization so and the internet of course makes us part of this huge uh, family on the other side of course the internet has done this this individualization things made us all get into specialization so you get um, uh, in, in my book, I talk about the circus bubbles, so that you get these very um, the specialists are one bubble. That within that, they 
they know all the other specialists there's a little hierarchy within that and the 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 circus company is a little bubble and then there's a the circus community itself is a bubble so there's all this kind of isolation from the outside world and there is a danger that that it becomes self-obsessed self-interested self-indulgent about the self so i i think it's important that the that work these days have a has a a much wider dimension. There's an acknowledgement of the things that are happening around us. I wrote this the the, the book about work that was made in the um, in the in the noughties, really, the late nineties and the the up to the financial crash, really. And that was a time when there was a sort of complacency with with uh, the in the West. You know, we thought we'd won the Cold War. Um, you know, people were borrowing to spend. The idea of live for now. You know, just enjoy yourselves. That's all what it's about. Sort of hedonism. So that their work was about challenging that sort of. Uh, easy answers that that sort of self-interest and they were trying to 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 shake up the complacency to wake people up to to other things that were going on because it's very easy to just get wrapped up in that uh, uh, yeah that that self-indulgent bubbles that people were in okay very interesting within bim's book he talks about specifically juggling and as a juggler i suppose i should go there that the amount of time that it takes us to practice is almost isolating within itself because, you know, we have to get up every day, get to a training space, and then we are surrounded by normally aerialists stretching and chatting while we juggle and we get progressively less room, so we get more and more into our bubble of circus. And does that reflect in the work we eventually make? Mm -hmm. We are a person who's just been really juggling and producing the act and not maybe fully engaged with the rest of society, which may have influence the work in terms of what we actually put onto the stage. Within the book, Bim talks about particular artists. So there's Sasha Baron Cohen, and there's Banksy, and there's several other characters. Some that I was unaware of. Uh, Leo Bassi. Leo Bassi. Yeah. Now, Leo Bassi, I suppose this might be a provocative question. Uh-huh. I struggled with him, especially compared to, you know, I went and watched a few of Sasha Baron Cohen's work because I was, I'd watched yeah. it all, but I wanted a refresher, so yeah. I rewatched Bruno. Yeah. Leo Bassi, the story you told about his crowd gather, and I'm going to quickly segue to that. Oh, yeah. Crowd gather in the world of street performances, just the, that opening maybe 5, 10, even 15 minutes where you're going from a man stood in the street to a man with an audience completely changes your status. You know, you are then a performer in many people's eyes. The audience almost makes everything valid, if that makes sense. And the bigger the audience is, there is, oh, well, I'm watching a show and obviously it must be good because everyone else is here. And that ability to create that crowd is normally referred to within the industry as a crowd gather. And Leo witnessed a car accident happening very near his pitch. And he recreated that as a crowd gather. Yeah, yeah. He he was doing his show, just coming up to his... his, you know, had a huge crowd um, and his, his big spectacular number, that which after which he would uh, um, collect the money. Um, just couldn't lead up to that. And then there was a little bicycle accident, a car knocked into a bicycle, not a big deal at all. But all his crowd turned to that to see what was going on because um, he realised that real drama, real things happening where there's real danger, people are really getting hurt, is always going to be much more interesting than... Um, then pretend, fake, fake uh, uh, play, if you like. Um, 
he used that by replicating the, an accident to draw a crowd, and then he would take them off to uh, to start his show, and that was a uh, with him but, himself being hit by a car. With him being hit by a car, yeah. Wonderful. So, so but so what was it you found? Um, so this is, it about? may be an issue of mm. access to his work. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I was only made aware of him maybe 20 hours ago. Yeah, so yeah. what anyone else does in 2015, I trolled YouTube. Right. Some of the, the some more recent stuff that I remember seeing some chat show stuff he'd done recently. And yeah, it was much less interesting than some of the work he's done that I've seen him do sort of face to face negotiating with security guard, police, politicians, um, uh, being in direct confrontation, you know, where he is... Uh, yeah, he, he's at real, real risk. So I talk in the book about the incident where he was, he did the show about the, um, partly about the Roman Catholic Church in Spain and the connection between the uh, the right wing party, the Parti du Popular, with the, um, with the, uh, with the Roman Catholic hierarchy, a bit like you've got in Putin's Russia with the the, the connection between the, the Greek Orthodox Church and the. And the uh, and Putin's government, um, so mutual self self interest and uh, you know and slightly you know all those right wing issues being slightly homophobic and you know pre- prejudicial to various minorities. So he's he's challenging that with this with this show and and the, the consequences are quite severe. He you know there are, he is, he's threatened to be killed and actually at some at one point they uh, somebody puts a bomb in the theatre where he's doing a li- you know a, a live bomb it was a um, fuse was lit in in the, the theatre where he was doing the show and and there are youtube clips i found of the protesters outside some of whom are uh, priests and some of whom are doing um, you know they're fascists they're giving the fascist salute and they're giving a you know a, a, you know they're out out in Spain, you could do that. It was the old Franco people, and they, by giving a provocative stimulus, he is drawing out responses from from his opposition, if you like, and and they are linking up, and he can all the connections are are revealed, and that's that's the so that's it's not just in the show, it's in the it's in the the political repercussions uh, of of the events he's doing. The other point I was going to make. Leading on from this idea of you know the effect of his art is almost as as, as important as the art he was making originally yeah. in a way, I found with Banksy, especially within the last two or three years, there's almost two pieces of art now, isn't there? So yeah. he'll make a piece of art, and then you know the council will claim it, and then the local charity will claim it, and then there'll be a news story in the paper about you know mm-hmm. it was written on the I think maybe it was quite near here on the M32 you know he did a piece of artwork on a it was a club for young people yeah and they yeah. were like well this, club, yeah. yeah this piece of artwork could re, could save our club and yeah. all these things so it's kind of you know he almost tries to make something beautiful and goes there you go horrendous world now yeah. almost fight over it yeah yeah which is well, the, uh, the point I'm very kind of mm-hmm. badly getting towards is do you think it's made his work even more impactful, this idea that everything he does now has this trail and subsequent story? Yeah, I, like many artists who've been influenced by Andy Warhol, uh, the popular replication, the fuss about it, the, the parties, the, well, you know, whatever, the, the mystique, 
that's that is the artwork as well as the the artifacts even it's in a way even more than the the actual artifacts so it's the uh, so banksy you know his his uh, his his greatest work is his uh, anonymity you know that the way that uh, that story has run and run you know has resonance with uh, you know that all the hidden um, you know robin hood and the, you know the people who are you know, away and undercover and all that sort of thing. And who is he, the Lone Ranger? Or, you know, he's kind of uh, <laughs> uh, the masked person. And it, you know, it's all about who is he and, um, you know, Spartacus, you know, mm. is it who he could be any of us, any, any, any mm. uh, anyone here could be Banksy, you know, that idea. And of course, you know, he's very, he's very clever. The, the, the way, for example, Dismal Land, um, and also his Bristol exhibition uh, in the museum was... Um, they announce it just, you know, two or three days before it opens. So it's a news story. It's not, it's not, hidden, you know, it's not going to be a, it's not trailed like in a conventional way of, uh, of exhibitions and things like that. It, it's just a, you know, a big, uh, big news story. And that, you know, the, the generation of, of all that kind of um, uh, fizz of, uh, you know, People talking about it and uh, recommending it and going to see it, it because it's it has this sort of thrill and danger and it's, it's unknown, art. it's unpredictable, and you have to, you know, a bit like Dismal Land, it's all sold out, but there are cunning ways to get there, you know, that you if you do this and you knock twice and you, you know, <laughs> all that sort of thing. There's a um, so it, it creates this mystique. The mystique of Banksy is, is a, yeah, it's a great artwork, yeah. I must say, before he t- popped up in your book, I almost discounted him, because I moved to oh. Bristol, maybe at the peak of his, and by the time he'd already got onto the, you know, people would have Banksy tattoos, uh-huh. and people who, I don't know if I'm going to sound condescending, have no real interest in his, in his kind of, in his ideas, would yeah. have a big Banksy print yeah. on their wall. I'm yeah. like, oh, it's just... Yeah. He's just the random graffiti artist that has been chosen, and it's cool to like him, so everyone yeah. likes him. So yeah. I never really thought about him. I'm like, oh, yes, Banksy, that's lovely. Yeah. But so now I'm maybe going to go back and kind of have a good old think about some of his earlier work and that transition through, because yeah. that is, it is an, an interesting idea, because there's, there's themes in your book about, and I'll swing it back to circus slightly, running away with the circus, this oh, yeah. idea of an alternative life you can have. And in a way, I've done it. I left a teaching career to go towards this and the abandonment of the nine-to-five. But then, having read this book this week, I'm thinking, I, I ran away to a point, and I, but I then started to create acts that would then get booked yeah. and pay my mortgage yeah. and allow the lifestyle that I was used to before when I was a teacher. And this idea of like, you know, was I just, the capitalists had got me so much that even when I rebelled against capitalism, I still did it in a way that would, you know, I didn't yeah. even go to this point. Maybe people did it more in the 80s and the 70s with, you know, alternative comedy where the idea that no one's going to pay you for this wild stuff you're yeah. going to do, but you're going to do it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Um, with young circus performers, have we, you know, have, have they won and we have to reprogram them? Or is this a facet you could consider where do you stand on it well it, it's it's really problematic at the moment the the uh, i mean in, in my lifetime the well there used to be you used to be able to sign on and and then so people young artists groups like fort Bead fantasy i know survived off the signing on so they could then make artwork they could spend all their life doing that you know there was a version wasn't there i know um, ben cornish was on it and also Stuart lee where if you were starting a small business you could get a yeah. little bit more on your dole 
And that's a lot right. of artists yeah. were on that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, that was a later... Um, so right. that's in the 80s. Um, yeah, I was encouraged to set up, be entrepreneurial and set up your, your own thing. So I did that. Uh, I was... Uh, I, my, my street theatre book was written uh, partly on that. Uh, so interesting. <laughs> but, but there was also a circuit of art centres, you know, subsidised art centres, and the Arts Council was very good about uh, subsidising Fringe Theatre, which is what, what, what uh, I worked in. There was less circus then, but they, they did get behind circus. But that, you know, the funding has got tighter and tighter. The arts, mainly the art centre circuit has almost disappeared. Most art centres now just do stand-up comedy, a bit of music... Uh, and you know some easy theatrical classics, whatever. So there isn't the experimental work that's happening there. So there's the when we first started uh, Circa Media, we were training people for that art, part, you know, partly for the commercial world, but but also for this to do experimental work. And and now there is this uh, division. So with a lot of students leaving, the 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 more adventurous, experimental ones perhaps get shocked by the reality of what can I do with this it's good work they're making good work everybody says it's good work the teachers think they get good reviews and things like that but they what can you do it it doesn't tour it doesn't sell and all that so do you then abandon everything or a lot of them then then have to sway back to just yeah as you say doing the commercial work what we encourage is that they they keep both going that the commercial work then subsidizes the artistic work and it's a it, it's certainly, I know a lot of people who, who have done that and that, that can take them up to, uh, take their, their artistic work, if you like, up to a level where they start to then do get funding or, it, it, you know, they'll, they'll gather an audience because they become uh, uh, very well known. So, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that the market for circus is becoming more about, uh, is, you know, more about cabarets than it used to be. Uh, and the cabarets are becoming more and more what I call conservative in the sense that they they reinforce um, uh, you know the whole burlesque scene now has become it's quite retro in the sense that in, in attitudes to women and all that sort of thing they they some of them uh, verge on on just being um, you know uh, striptease shows you know that sort of thing you know so so burlesque is really interesting from that point of view because it's and I talk about this in the book the the uh, there's, there's one end that's really uh, commercial and a bit sleazy, and the other end is very experimental and challenging, you know, mm. and you've got this... So, so burlesque is, is a really, uh, you know, it's a, an encapsulation of the, what's happening in, in the wider circus scene. It's an interesting thing, because I started up north as a circus performer, and the idea of funding was just... We, just, like, we didn't yeah. know about it. Our little group of friends, anyway. Yeah. You know, our idea of being a circus performer is, oh, there's a nightclub that might pay us 50 quid yeah. to do a bit of juggling. Then I moved to the south coast, and that was like, oh, you can gig for Bournemouth Council or Pool Council because mm-hmm. they've got mm-hmm. ENTS budgets. Yeah. So you put, we put together street shows, and they were relatively weird street shows because we had no old pros around us. You know, we didn't know about the Covent Garden. You know, yeah. you do three tricks, yeah. you build up, you yeah. finish high. Yeah. We didn't know, so yeah. we didn't do it. But the idea that you could do something purely for artistic reasons was completely new. I've only yeah. really learnt about it. Again, you know, within the last few years, and I always call it the funding path. And you, yeah. you can go off on that path yeah. and you can try and get booked for Mint Fest yeah. and yeah. Glastonbury. But then there is this kind of promised land if you can break through to it. I, maybe someone like Fraser has yeah. got to it with his boxing show. Yeah. But it tends to be maybe most uh, a good chunk of that will be international. 
Yeah. When yeah. Uh, do other countries still? Do you think they have the the touring scene that we used to have with the art centres? Yeah, I mean, generally. So if you take countries like France, of course, Australia, um, Holland, Germany, they support the arts much more than we do in Britain. Mm. They and particularly circus arts, okay. uh, Canada, uh, not America, because um, they don't do funding there. But um, there are certain. Um, you know, a lot of countries are the circus artists in much better position than, than they would be here. So, I'm in close contact with a group called Lockham's Razor, who did this twin route. They were doing, uh, you know, they do little little walkabout gigs and. Uh, and would they take on a Christmas contract and things? Uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah. I think in the early years yeah. they would they would just do anything just to keep keep going. Yeah. They set up a base a bit like uh, a bit like the one here. And um, they did that in London, uh, in the site where the um, where they built the Olympic Games and got knocked down. And gradually, you know, work they did a little trapeze duo, then to a, tr- a trio, and then a four people, and then five. You know, and now they highly respected, not that well known in Britain, but they go to Australia and they are. I can't think what the equivalent would be. Are they billboard famous in America, in Australia? If you put up a Ockham's Razor billboard, it would sell off the back of that type thing. Well, with it's always tricky, that isn't it? You know, are you what is what is fame to who? You know, mm. I wouldn't say they are. They're not commercial. Their work is just not that kind of thing. It's yeah. not about. It's certainly not about tricks. It's not about entertainment. But it's it's um, in the circus. We'll call it alternative circus scene, new circus, or it's not so divided in Australia. But within that, they are the, probably the the top world company. You know, they're, wow. um, so they're 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 huge there. But you know, it's partly if you get a group coming from from another country that yep. they already have a status and they they've uh, they've uh, built on that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to 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 think about those people who you know have have found the balance between doing their own work and then fitting in with uh, the market. And you can do it by having one product that is that a bit like Slava, say, you know, his, his clowning was, was a very, um, was kind of offbeat, actually. It was traditional, but very offbeat to start with. And now it's become, you know, very, very commercial, very mainstream, very successful. His um, snow show. Yeah. I think that played yeah. the Hippodrome in Bristol yeah, this winter. Yeah, and yeah. That seemed relatively lucrative. And yeah. does he then do some pretty out there stuff for the rest of the year? And then the snow show bankrolls it in a way? Well, I I, I knew him in the, uh, when was that? The... Uh, 1980, I suppose, and he was part of a Russian group called Lichidai, who who were a um, political clown group. They were a bit like Leo Bassi in in Spain. They were protesting against the. This is you know before the Berlin Wall went down, all that sort of thing. They were they were uh, using their popularity to go on demonstrations and uh, make an effect. Then gradually, so then he moved to the West. He uh, um, he went solo. Um, he was the, the kind of lead member of that company, but then, then went solo and used that style and trained up people t- and did it in uh, his own way. So, he, you know, it, it's very interesting that often these provocative performers, they're, because they, they come from outside, they're not trying to conform, they create something much more original. You can think of other shows like what's that one with the um, where they bang the dustbins and the stomp, stomp, stomp. Yeah, of course. Sorry. Um, 
Stomp was, you know, I, I knew some of those people because a lot of them came out of Covent Garden street scene. They were just drummers. You know, it's very left field. And then it becomes this huge show, becomes commercial because they're coming from a different place. They were, of course, they just bang, they were banging rubbish. They yeah. were banging dustbins and brooms and all that sort of thing. So, Would you class a modern day example or a very specific to Bristol example, would you say Arcadia and their spider? Do you think that's the same journey? They, it's, it's cool to be normal, but to go and see Arcadia, if that yeah, makes sense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Groups like Ar- Chaos were a bit like that, very left field. And then it becomes, I remember them in London uh, in the early 90s, and they were, it was the hit show to go to. So all the young young people working in offices and the, you know... the You read The, the Guardian, the, yeah, they the, tell you to go the, see yeah, Ar- the, Chaos, you the, do. The kind of hipsters, yeah. sort of, uh, they weren't hipsters then, but that kind of... Um, Yuppies, Pro- prof- yuppies? yuppies, professionals um, yeah. would would just would just love to go and see it because it had this a bit like you're talking about this Banksy thing. It was a bit thrilling, a bit edgy, yes. a bit risky, but it's safe. You know, you don't have to you don't have to go out and demonstrate or do anything. You just slightly identify with this slight outsider, and that gives you a kind of uh, radical kudos. You know. Uh, uh, a, it's a radical chic. It's a kind of easy way to do it, and you, you know, you, it makes you sound of thrilling and interesting. You know, if you tell people who've been to those things. But uh, yeah, Arcadia's. Uh, uh, it, they have the the interesting challenge of their work has to work large scale. So that means it's got to to sell lots of tickets. They've got to make it viable. Mm. And of course, they've they've you know expanded slowly using I mean, the Glastonbury. Uh, festival has been a great, uh, you know, over the years has been a great um, nurturing ground for for local people, Banksy included. You know, I was wondering about that, and we must wrap it up. So hopefully, we'll be able to rejoin this conversation because yeah. I feel like we're only scratching at the first bit. I want to go straight back into the provocateur stuff. Of like, right. when I look at that spider, I'm like, how do you go from not having that to having that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah. bang, yeah. here it is, like. Yeah. And I, so I assume it's like, you know, they pitch it to Glastonbury, maybe they say, you know, yes, and then they can get some gigs from there. Yeah. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there. Yeah, Thank you very much. It's been very, very interesting to me as someone who's way more corporate than they want to be in their work. This book is really, it's just, it's just an interesting thing to realise subconsciously what choices I'd even made. Yeah. And it's just yeah. being a performer in 2015 now. This yeah, kind of happens to you. Yeah, we are where we are. We are in the culture that and the the capitalism society that that we are. So we we have to work with that. We have to engage with it. We have to survive in it. So it raises questions. What do we do? What do we do? Yeah. So me and Bim are going to leave it there. We're about to go downstairs and watch an anarchistic YouTube-based cabaret. We have no idea what it's going to be like. Hopefully, yeah. it's going to be fantastic. And we will see you all soon. Thank you. Welcome to the hard mind.